0: Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick.
1: Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. So glad you found a moment to listen to us today as the Reimagine team and I gather to catch up and reflect on this first semester and plans for second semester of the 21-22 school year. For those of you who are new to the podcast, the Reimagine Washington team was put together in April of 2020 when the Washington State Association of Educational Service Districts, or ESDs, came to me asking to support teachers across the state of Washington in teaching distance learning through the pandemic. I reached out to friends and colleagues who I had gotten to know through consulting with school districts across the state and asked if they would be willing to support others in this transition to remote learning. Eight of the ten were full-time teachers or technology coaches who were teaching their own classes online or supporting their districts in moving to distance learning and at the same time helping to support over 20,000 other educators across the state learning to teach remotely as well our trainings were called Reimagine Washington Ed as we look to support our state in reimagining learning through emergency remote learning and into the future as well. This school year, with students returning to in-person learning across the state, the team and I still get together about every other month for a virtual happy hour and to catch up on what's happening and reflect on our teaching and coaching practices. This month, we recorded our conversation as a podcast as we reflect on what we learned about ourselves, our schools, and our students in the first semester of the 21-22 school year. I hope you enjoy this unscripted chat with members of the Reimagine team. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So great to be here with Quote unquote, the team, uh, or at least part of the team, those of us that could make it on a whatever it is, Tuesday night, uh, to just have a quick conversation, very informal, just talking about what we're seeing as kind of the first half of the school year comes to an end. And uh, what are we kind of seeing or feeling out there in education? Uh, Some of the maybe things that we've tried. Um, some experiments we've had, maybe some new tech tools. Uh, if we can get to that, we'll see how it goes. But uh, let's introduce who's here with us tonight. Steve, let's start with you. Good evening, Steve.
2: Good evening. Good evening, Jeff. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Murphy. I'm from Enumclaw High School in Enumclaw, Washington. And I have the privilege and a wonderful schedule of being able to teach half time. So I teach social studies at the high school, uh, an AP Human Geography class in U.S. history. And then the other half of the time period, I'm a K 12 instructional technology coach and trying to help guide with how to incorporate blended learning into the classrooms K through 12. So it's been an interesting start to the year. So lots of things to learn and I'm uh, excited to talk about what we've experienced and where we're going moving forward. Awesome. And your partner, Jen. Nice to see you, Jen.
0: Well, hello. I'm Jen Longmeyer, also from Enumclaw. I work with Steve for his half of his job. <laughs> um, I do the K-12 Instructional technology, full-time um, servicing. We have eight schools, but we also have the developmental preschool that I work with as well. Um, just really trying to navigate this crazy busy year and teachers load and, and finding that sweet spot of how to support and
3: not be intrusive.
1: Yeah, I like that. Support without being intrusive.
3: Tyler, good evening, my friend. Hey, uh, good to be here. So I'm Tyler Rablin. I'm a high school ELA teacher. I teach one class period of debate too, which has been really fun for me. It's my like playground with all different ideas because there's no curriculum and we just have to figure it out as we go. Um, I teach at Sunnyside High School out in central Washington state in Sunnyside, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And last, but definitely not least, Monica,
1: nice to have you.
4: Thank you for having me. i uh, Monica McTee. I'm Instructional Technology Specialist. Uh, I was K-8 for a couple of years, but I'm back to K-12 since that rotten uh, Stephen Troutman left me. And then this <laughs> year, I also took on the role of K-5 Math Instructional Specialist. So um, I'm re-entering the math world. My last job in the classroom was teaching sixth grade math for five years. Um, so it's fun to be back in the math world, uh, as important as technology is. Uh, when I looked at all the initiatives that our principals had in front of them, technology is no longer on the forefront. Interesting. Uh, I hope we've never checked that box to say, yeah, we've done that. Uh, but math is a priority in my district. So I'm trying to be sneaky. And now that I'm the math coach, I'm the popular girl again, because um, math is one of our district goals. So I awesome. can walk into a classroom with both the math lens and the technology lens. And of course, they, they go together very well. So happy to be here.
1: Well, I think that's a great place to start the conversation. Is this idea that technology has kind of fallen off the radar after the pandemic? In to, to kind of your point, like it, it was one of our strategic goals. Um, are we seeing that? Are you? Are we all seeing that? Or are we starting to rebrand it where we're not thinking of technology anymore? But like Steve, you mentioned this idea of like blended learning. which is really using technology, but we're now looking at it in more of a learning sense and moving away from, hey, guess what? We gave every kid a Chromebook and this is what Google Drive is. What kind of, are are we, do we feel like technology is still there? We've just maybe finally, can I say, make the shift to be learning focused with technology? I don't know. What are you seeing? I
4: think technology is now the no duh. No duh, we're using technology. uh, Of course we are. Um, Our district is, is doing the big push on UDL right now and, um, accommodating all kids. So I got an email from a teacher the other day and he said, after my parent teacher conference, I have a parent that wants to make sure that most of my students' work is being able to be read aloud to them. And, and do you have any extensions or, or tricks, um, to do text to speech? And my first inclination was, well, let me come in and work with that one kid. Mm. And then I thought, wait a minute, what's good is one. What's good for one is good for all. So can I come in and teach your whole class about Read and Write for Google or extensions um, that are now at every student's fingertips and that can help um, remove some of those barriers?
2: That's very cool. Steve, how about you? Well, I think, I think that's a great point, Monica. I was just going to say that the same thing that, you know, you go back to the time period where we were in remote learning and when everything we were going through the pandemic and it did feel like we were making this shift to incorporating technology. And then we come back to the schools okay, and we're back to people being in person. And it seems like we do go back to kind of some of our traditional things, but yet technology is still there. And I think Jen can speak to this as well. In fact, I had a conversation with a teacher the other day that said, well, I don't really think that I'm doing a whole lot with blended learning. And I had to have the conversation and say, well, are you have like, I literally listened to his classroom where he was teaching English and language arts and he wanted them to go. And I can't remember what the terminology he he used mine. I want you to go mine for a poem. Why don't you go find a poem that we're going to be able to discuss and we're going to talk about and I'm like, dude, you know, that's, that's blended learning, right? That's what, that's what you're doing. But because it's not like 100% technology mm. and he feels that he's getting more engagement in person, he felt like because he was doing a lot of in-person stuff, even though he was using the technology to support sure. it, that he, he didn't have a full understanding of what blended learning was. Mm. So I think to walk away from what we experienced and say, everybody, you know, all the teachers understand how it all incorporates. I think there's still a separation. That we have to then come back to and go, all right, how do we how how do you understand how this functions and works? when we are fully back in person, but yet it's still being offered as blended learning. And I mean, I have more to say to that, but I know Jen and Tyler and you know Jeff, you guys have things to say to that as well. But Mm. I want to come back to the idea of you talking about um, teaching everybody how to use that technology in the classroom. And I think the same thing goes for teachers, teaching all the teachers how to be able to use Google Classroom, whatever their LMS is, to differentiate amongst students. Mm -hmm. I experienced it this year where I had kind of an aha moment. I can tell that story later when you talk about like tech tools or how you do that. But I think that's just a great place for us to keep in mind is that just because we went through that year doesn't mean everybody is in the brain space of understanding how it all fits together. Mm, I like that.
0: I think that's really true. I think that we had two separate reactions. One reaction was instantly, we're back in the classroom. I don't want anything to do with technology. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not putting my second graders on technology. They've had too much screen time. And, and the other reaction was, Hey, wait a minute, now all our kids kind of have a baseline, other than our incoming kindergartners, they kind of have a baseline. What can I do with this? And I, and mm-hmm. I think we've got a whole group that are on the, that cusp of what can I do with this now? What things can I do versus just that replacement piece? You know, conversations are s- just starting to percolate. It's been it's been tough getting to the point of having some of these conversations, but they're just starting to percolate about, okay. I know how to use Google Slides, but what does that mean actually with my instruction or how does this help with student learning, you know, taking something and actually knowing how to really implement that tool to be that blended learning tool and not just something that you do for an hour on Mondays. Yeah. So um, I love the fact that now conversations are beginning to happen and that the conversations can happen with Let's not make it on the kids that the kids are not comfortable with this. It's still us, even though we should all be really comfortable after a year of teaching only with technology, that our kids came in with more skills in that area. And now we just have to figure out, like Steve said, how to mine those skills and to get them to start curating and creating.
1: Yeah. Tyler, how about you?
3: I I think we're in an interesting spot. I feel like we're in a pendulum swing and we're going to get back to a really good spot at some point. And by that, I mean, like we swung all the way to tech for a little bit, right. Or a little bit, a long time um, with everything, having kids out of the building, teaching everything online. And it does seem like as we came back into the classroom, a lot of classrooms are like swinging completely the opposite direction and using sort of this faulty logic of clearly it didn't work, right? Like lumping everything that happened last year and poor technology is now the scapegoat of like, (laughs) well, look what happens when kids are on computers. And you're like, I don't know if that's really a fair assessment of what (laughs) happened last year. (laughs) And, and and so I think there is a decent swing that way. I think there's also kind of on that end, still, I'm seeing the rise of Pre-packaged, completely online programs um, becoming more commonplace in schools. That has me a little bit worried too. Um, but I, but I think you know, as I, almost like anything in education, it's going to swing back the opposite direction, and eventually, it'll get to a point in the middle that is awesome, where you know, teachers are are truly combining the best of what we learned about what we can do online and being in person with students and, you know, being able to leverage that social interaction and things like that. Um, So, I mean, I really, I think the foundation, like the floor has absolutely been raised and I'm just excited to see like what happens to the ceiling after the pendulum kind of comes to a happy medium.
1: Yeah. I've been using the analogy and podcast listeners are probably sick and tired of hearing this by now, but I've been using that analogy of uh, like a rubber band, right? Like we we had a rubber band that was education and during, you know, school shutdown and then, you know, the beginning, the middle of the pandemic, man, we stretched that rubber band. We wanted to see how, I mean, we literally stretched the educational system. What can we do? What couldn't we do? Depending on your district, your state, your country, you were able to stretch this rubber band in all sorts of different ways, right? Some ways good, some ways bad. And then afterwards, kids are coming back. Well, there, it, there there's this, we want to, as humans, we want to snap back to what we know. Just like a rubber band, you let go of it, it tries as hard as it can to get back to what it was. The problem is it can never get fully back there, right? It's a little stretched out more than it was last time. And I feel like, kind of like what you're saying, what you guys are all seeing and saying, I feel like it snapped back and then it was kind of uncomfortable for a while, and I feel like just now we're starting to kind of be like, you know what? I can stretch this rubber band a little bit. There's these new skills that allow my rubber band to be a little bit wider. And we're, we're trying to figure that out. I think, you know, what you're saying, Steve, uh, really resonates with me that, that we're, we're seeing technology in ways and using it in different ways that we don't even sometimes I think even realize how cool of things we're doing because they are things that we were just doing anyway. And it, re- it always reminds me when we're talking, Jen, about the, I, I think I stole the quote from you, right? Is what we're moving from is technology as an event to technology and just what we do. And Steve, it sounds to me like you're, that teacher you're talking about was just like, yeah, but technology is not the event. Like there wasn't this, because oh, every kid just has a laptop and you go mining for a poem because every kid can flip up in the lid, go dig into Google, shut the lid and talk about a poem. And they're like, yeah, but that's not using tech. No, that's using tech perfectly. That's what we want. But it's not an event, it's just part of the learning process. So it'll just be interesting to see, you know, just how far and, and how slowly we can. We I can
4: think continue
1: some people broke their rubber bands. <laughs> some people broke their rubber band. I agreed. <laughs> the, Google, the, risk.
4: the Google trainer group, somebody is trying to do a movement of like, we won't go back or they have some hashtag of, we're not going to go back to the way it was before the pandemic. Let's take those things that we learned and move forward with them. So I haven't necessarily followed the hashtag, but there was a movement in the Google trainer groups for a while of, come on, let's all get on board and, and take these important things that we've learned and, and take them forward.
1: Yeah.
2: I was going to say at the risk of, you know, overdoing the analogy scenario or, you know, like the rubber bands or the pendulum, in some ways, Tyler, I feel like we have about six different balls swinging on the pendulum, right? I mean, we have like, we don't know where we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to be at. And to me, I think where a lot of education is, I can only speak to our district or the people that I've talked to, but I think there's a huge need to find an identity as a district, Mm. Right. And like a consistency K 12. I know for us personally that I feel like even each building might be at a different spot. And it's not because of lack of trying or effort, but because we've experienced so many different modalities over the last two years. Right. It's trying to find where that middle part is that works Mm. for everybody. And I can't believe I'm going to do this, but here, here's the, here's the coach and me. And there's everybody, there's three cougars on this panel and there's one Husky. Okay. I'm the Husky and I can't believe okay. I'm going to do this <laughs> after the apple cup, but It's, for example, my Huskies, my football team, we had zero identity as an offense. Like all season long, there was no identity. You have no idea what they were trying to do or what they were trying to go for. And there was no success that it was able to happen because if you're just kind of throwing darts at a dartboard to figure out what you need to do, there's not going to be a consistency from week to week or what you're trying to do. And to me, I feel like that's where we're kind of at in some places as a district is we might have some success one week, but we don't necessarily continue it. Or there's, you know, 60% that are doing it this way and 20% that are doing it this way. And we just don't quite necessarily know which direction we're going. And I think that's just partly due to like when Tyler's talking about pendulum swing, that's what happens, right? I mean, that's what happens is you don't yeah, you have it gets to find messy. that identity. Yeah. yeah, it gets messy. <laughs> and you have to find that identity. But I think the sooner we can find that identity of what that means, whether it's blended learning or whatever your approach, UDL, whatever your approach is going to be, then you're going to be able to all be on the same page and move forward in a productive way. Yeah, I
0: think Steve, along with that, that identity, I think people, teachers knowing we were coming back in person that set them up to have that rubber band be snapped back to how they knew what it was. And you walk back in the door and it's not the same again. It is not the same. And what we thought was going to be the same. Isn't the kids didn't come back in the same and not even just talking about where they are academically, because I don't care about that piece as much. I care about the the routines and the behaviors and the, the little people or the big people, depending on what grade level you're yeah. in, that nobody came back with the same identity. And so I think that put teachers into a little bit of a tailspin that, oh my gosh, I've got these kids that were having these behavior issues that we never had before, but these kids haven't been in school for a year and a half. We haven't been in person for a year and a half. So who am I as a teacher? And it doesn't feel the same or look the same as what I was used to. And I think that, you know, Tyler was talking earlier, maybe it was before we started recording, but feeling like he hit that October slump, like in mid-September. And I think that was all teachers. We hit yeah. that wall because nothing. we had this mindset that we were going back. We were back in the school and it didn't. it did not meet our expectations. And that's hard.
1: Yeah, the gap between expectation and reality closed really fast I think uh on a, on a lot of, on a lot of us. Like uh, you know, it was just like it, it isn't the same. Kids are still 3 feet apart. We're still having to wear masks. There's I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't make the day-to-day stuff feel normal. Yeah.
4: And I ex- expectations for parents, so I'm always trying to pay attention to to what parents are thinking and doing and I was talking to a teacher and their student was quarantined for a short amount of time. And so, of course, they expected a full-blown lesson plan. How are you engaging my kid? That kind of a thing. Mm. And then even when quarantine was over, that parent decided or the student or whatever decided, well, we're just going to stay home because we know that the teachers can do remote learning because they did it last year. Um. And, I mean, we've tried to make it really clear to staff and parents, I don't think we've done a great job, but our priority are the kids in front of our face. And we do understand that kids are going to be home on quarantine, but our our focus is on those in front of our face. But of course, at the same time, what are we doing in our face-to-face classrooms that are still supporting those kids on quarantine? But parents want the full meal deal. If their kids are face-to-face, they want that education. If their kids are quarantined or on vacation or choosing not to come well we should educate them too so yeah. we're still asking an awful lot of our teachers
1: yeah and i think exactly that i think i don't think we're going to see that go away i think that is a i agree post I think that's a post-pandemic change in the educational system, and I think that's one of the struggles we're going through.
4: Hundred percent.
1: I think it's one of the struggles we're going through is is in the quarantining thing. Hopefully, someday we will get over the quarantining thing. But this idea that I'm going to pull my kid for a week and we're going to go to Disneyland, and they should still be able to log on and do the work that they need to do, not get the packet, like do the work they need to do and get to see their friends and be part of the group and. You know, um, or there's a there's a death in the family or I mean, there's all kinds of tragedies and and reasons why kids are outside of, uh, you know, are sometimes missing school. And I think uh, to your point, I think there's just this new mindset from parents of like, well, why can't you do that? You did it last year, (laughs) you know,
4: before COVID hit, before any of this remote learning happened, we started to have trickles of parents saying, my kid is home. Can't they just zoom into the class? Can't Mm -hmm. we just do this? Because of legit reasons, like you said, death in the family or surgery or medically fragile or whatever. And it was a reasonable request, but we weren't willing to open the door. Right. Because We didn't want to make it too convenient for kids not to come to school. We wanted to educate those kids, but we didn't want to make it too convenient. So now it's a little bit of a slippery slope. Yeah. Here we make it for kids not to come. They're not going to come. But yeah.
2: Yeah. It's so crazy. Complicated. It is. It is complicated. On the. On the you know, just to play a little devil's advocate to that, though, I think we should be able to offer that. Like, that is something that we can offer. It just, we're not necessarily prepared. It's part of our identity, right? It needs to be part of the identity of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to offer. And speaking of that, I I mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of a tool or different realization that I had, is I had a student that was um, leaving on vacation, and wanted to, um, she was a really conscientious student. So it was about a week ahead of time. It was like on Monday and they were going to be gone the next week. And she was talking to me about, I'm going to be gone. And my first reaction was, oh my gosh, um, I don't have time to like make you copies or get all the different things we need to get to. <laughs> right. Just cause that's my traditional teacher mindset. Sure. And I went, well, wait a minute, because of last year, because of teaching everything like a blended learning, I have all my modules and things done. They're ready to go. And I went, you know, on Google Classroom, I have the ability of making those available to just her, to not everybody else, but to just her.
1: Right.
2: And I said, so, you know, do you have Wi-Fi where you're going? No, I, I want to be done so I don't have to worry about on vacation. All right, by tomorrow, I'll have all those available to you, right? So they were all put available to her. She finished them before she went so she could enjoy vacation. And then the next Monday, I just made them available to everybody else. Yeah. So like if, if you have your system set, structured and set up to where it can function, as we've talked all that last year when we were doing our training, yeah. online first, yeah. it's simple to adjust the other way. But where I think a lot of teachers have gotten themselves into this trouble is like you talked about the rubber band analogy is they've snapped back to in-person. And now when, like Monica, what you're saying, if parents are asking for Support. Now it feels like a second thing they have to do. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's simple. It's just like and you know, I'm not, not just me, but whoever is doing it, where it's like blended learning. It's online first. It's it's right there and available for you. Yeah. Now not so much the zooming into class or whatever. I mean, but you know, you get. You get the idea. So,
1: yeah. And I mean, we're doing, I'm doing the same thing. I'm helping a school district kind of start their online school. Cause I think another thing, and Tyler, you kind of mentioned this too, is I'm seeing a lot of school districts now saying, oh, we will offer an online school and then they outsource it to name your company. And I just, I, I worry about that slippery slope as well, because there's just a value add there, I think of knowing your community, knowing you know knowing your students. I mean, most of these kids aren't going to be remote from K through 12. So as a as a district, knowing where this kid was in seventh grade before they decided to go remote, I think has a lot of benefit. So I think there's some of that there. But I'm helping the school district set up their their online school. And we're doing exactly what you're saying, Steve, is that it's an alternative high school is where they're decided to do it, which I think is really cool because they, their mindset behind it was this idea of our alternative high school teachers already know how to be flexible because these all, kids that go to an alternative high school are kids that are usually they could be there for a week. They, they're not there for a week. They're there for three days. They might not be there for five days. And so you've learned to be flexible in it. And then after the pandemic, we've got a whole nother set of tools that we can use to reach those kids. And I mean, and the the fun part for me is to realize all the different reasons why kids go to like alternative high school. Like this school district has three entrepreneurs. These these kids, 17 and 18 years old, one's 20, already have like, they already run businesses in the community and haven't graduated high school yet that's why they're at the alternative school. It's not just kids who have flunked out or looking like this is amazing, right? All the different reasons. But we're, we're, we're creating it thinking about those kids first, not the kid that shows up every day in class. But let's take the kid that is gone for a week and then shows up for two weeks and gone for a week. How do we structure the learning for that kid and then the kid that's there every day, congratulations, man. You you have the same, it's the same learning. You just get a different interaction with me, with others that are there. And the kids that are hopping in and out, as a teacher, I'm able to come in and say, oh, what module? Oh, you're on module three? Great. You know, you're on module three, ready for me- module four. This kid over here is on module four, headed to module five, because who knows where these kids are? And so I, that idea of if you design for online first and backwards designed it in person, I think Again, I think that's a big mental shift to be thinking about as we as we move forward.
4: I'm reading um it's Blended Learning in UDL with Catlin yeah. Tucker and Katie Novak. I'm yep. only into chapter two, but I'm loving it. I think it's great. I think it's on point. Um I'm excited to share it with others. And so that's one I definitely highly recommend.
1: Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book
0: for sure.' Doing that same book, Monica in Claw with our blood and learning leaders. Oh, see, I oh, don't know this yet. When does this podcast go on? <laughs> right after
1: you hand out
2: the book, that's when we'll make sure okay. this gets
0: this awesome.
2: a way to give it away.
0: I know. <laughs> I can't keep a secret to save my life.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, what are some things you you kind of see moving forward? Like we're, we're done with like semester one. Um, we're headed into semester, kind of second half of the school year. I know it's not quite a semester when this will be coming out, but second half of the school year. Are we seeing, I I can't remember, I think, I think um, Jen, I think you brought this up, this idea of behaviors of students being different. Uh, we're hearing this across the board. Any thoughts on where, where this significant change in behavior is coming from? Are conversations in schools or where where's this different, I'll just use the term different behavior coming from any, any ideas or I
4: have a good story though. My daughter uh, just started as a para and on her first day, she got kicked in the nose and they broke it. Oh geez. <laughs> A kid was climbing up a bookcase and she was trying to get him down. Wow. So that can start this conversation and it is a classroom with autis- autistic children. So that puts a little bit of a, a layer on it, but yeah, It is, I I have, I've been out maybe, I think I counted about 20 classroom observations and first graders that don't know social norms, they, they don't know how to sit and listen and give contact. I mean, they, and, and I'm not a primary teacher, so Jen, you can speak to it. Is that normal? (laughs) Feral cats. It seems to be the analogy of they
0: just don't have those social norms or know how to play school. Right. I think talking with all of my elementary colleagues and what they're seeing in their rooms is for 18 months, these kiddos were at home. And for a large chunk of that time, they weren't necessarily engaging in large groups or having to know how to share or to sit and to listen. And depending on what the parent situation was, they may not have even been asked to sit and engage in any of the learning because it may have been mom and dad were both working. and those kids were, were largely left to kind of fend for themselves.
1: Older brother and sister are just trying to do the best they can.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and so we've got these, you know, now second graders who the last time they were in school was they made it halfway through kindergarten and the feral behaviors that you're seeing are pretty typical starting kindergarten, but they figured out really quickly how to sit and be students. But now you've got second graders that didn't have that. And the, the ripple effect Hmm. Of all of these kids who haven't needed to know how to share their time or to sit and listen for extended periods of time, that stamina that we're really good at building in schools, it went away. Hmm. I mean, 18 months of not exercising that muscle for kids across the board, it's showing. Yeah. And, and well, kids I, I'd be out- interested to
2: hear you know what, what Tyler has to say about a middle school level, but speaking to that from the high school level you know, it's not the, exactly the same thing. It's not like they're feral cats running around the room, but what we are experiencing like throughout our system, or at least throughout our high school and our, I think our middle schools is just a simple lack of ability to follow through and complete whatever learning activity has been asked of mm-hmm. you, whether that's like student agency or you know teacher driven or whatever, it doesn't matter. There's this, you know, an epidemic, whatever you want to call it, of lack of work completion that's happening. And mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes back to some degree of, and I, I think we're still so new at coming back to in person that it's too early, even though we all are really frustrated. And teachers, by the way, all of you teachers are out there listening, you're doing an unbelievable job to try and figure out whatever it is that you can do to solve this problem and to help and to support. But we haven't, I haven't, I haven't identified it yet. I haven't heard anybody at the high school that's fully identified why it's happening. But Monica, you said something earlier, I think, about teachers coming back and or maybe it was Jen about expecting things to be back to normal. Right. And I wonder if some ways students felt the same way. Like mm. all I have to do is step foot back on campus, and, and all of a sudden things same. will magically get better, and I'll complete work again. Mm. And they don't realize that. Yeah, I just I had that realization just right now. I haven't really thought about it much, but maybe because I've asked them, we've had conversations, and they can't tell me. Yeah, why? They can tell me that they're 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 bad at organization, or they're you know bad at time management, or they're bad at whatever. But when you say, well, why are you not doing so well? They don't know, and like they mm. don't even know. Like I have one student doing a self guided project on investigating. Mm why some people are motivated and some aren't because he wants to figure it out for himself. Yeah. You know I mean? Like that's literally where they're at. It's like, I don't know why I'm not getting the work done. It bothers Mm me, but I don't know why I'm not getting it done. So Mm -hmm. to me moving forward. And again, you know, we're what two weeks into, or three weeks into the second quarter. So it's not like we have huge amount of data, right. But there's enough to know there's an issue, but there's not enough to know if maybe it's just, we got to get back in the flow and things will kind of get better in second semester. You know, they might, you know, I don't know, but I, to me, that's, that's where our focus needs to be moving forward is, you know, at the elementary level, that's those social skills that Monica and Jen were talking about at the high school level, it's just the ability to, and I don't even know if it's engagement really, to be honest with you. Cause like when I talk with kids, they're engaged, I can talk to them, but I don't really have evidence of what they learned because they're not completing and showing me what they learned other than like a conversation. I don't know, Tyler, if you're experiencing anything similar to that or not, but
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, the piece that I have been thinking a lot about is like, if you go back to just how we set up our classrooms, like we geographically round up kids of the same age and take approximately 30 of them and cram them into a small box and tell them you're going to learn now. And like, I think before the pandemic, we had just. I don't know if brainwashed is too strong of a term, but like we had brainwashed kids that like, this is just how it happens. And then they had a year, year and a half where they weren't in that environment. And now these intensely social beings are crammed back into a room of 30 kids. And for the first time in 18 months, they're looking at the kid on their left and realizing he's further ahead than I am in this skill. And all of a sudden, this intensely social being is comparing themselves in a room of 30 kids to all these other kids. And I I think a lot of the behaviors we're seeing are avoidance of of having to grapple with that, right? Of having to, like, if you've got two kids working on something side by side and one kid is being successful at it and the other kid feels like they can't be, I'm going to protect my reputation. I'm going to protect myself and avoid doing that thing. And I think we're seeing that on like a mass scale right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it a lot of it points to, I mean, a lot of times we talk about social emotional learning from a concerning context of, of controlling kids, right? Like it sometimes is warped in our school systems to say like, oh no, this is how you sit and behave properly. But I think it's, you know, the need for social emotional le- learning right now is For the kids sitting next to someone else who's being successful, how is that kid seeing their worth and their value and their success? And like, I think that is, is the piece that I'm noticing with my freshmen, especially like, I feel like freshmen, this is, you know, magnified to a even bigger scale with them, but (laughs) they're just, they haven't been in a situation where they're forced to confront who they are, they're, they're where they're they're feeling judged all the time, they're feeling social pressured. and it's just sort of exploding for them. and they, yeah. they don't know how to necessarily see their worth and see their value in and of themselves. And so they're just like kind of freaking out for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. And you know, that's the one thing like I have a class that has been somewhat of a nightmare for me and and it it comes down to about four or five students who didn't engage a ton last year. Um, as I've sat down and talked with them, they feel really, really behind. Um, they, they're avoiding doing their work because they don't feel like they can do it. And I, you know, I I think the behavior issues are smaller than we think, but they're just more present in our mind because Mm -hmm. they might seem more severe to us, especially, I mean, as teachers that have not been in rooms with 30 kids, like that's rough on any human, not just the students, but on teachers too. Um, and so I, you know, I think there's, there's so much at play there, but I think a lot of it is just, it's a weird situation to start with and we need to help kids see why they're valuable on their own so that they stop looking at their peers to judge how they're doing and who they are.
1: Yeah. And I just wonder, I wonder if, you know, we talked about with teachers, the difference between reality and expectation and that gap came slamming shut I think we see the same thing happening with kids, right? Like all of a sudden you have this, you know, I'll take, like I was a fourth grade teacher. I could see these kids who were second graders the last time they were in a classroom thinking back like, oh, I get to go back to school. And when I go to school, it'll be normal. And yet you still have to wear a mask. Somebody's telling you to wash your hands all the time. There's all these other structures in place that are brand new to you, that it doesn't even feel like the same school you left, right? And so this reality expectation gap gets slammed shut. And there's all different types of ways that people, you know, manifest that. Kids, especially, manifest that in very unusual ways. The one thing I'm I'm interested to look at too, especially at like the middle school, high school level, is is there any is there any data? And I don't know what kind of data you would gather. I'm thinking like tardiness or truancies at school around this idea that, uh, and I'll just focus on high school kids that we had high school kids who. All of a sudden realized that they could kind of learn whenever they wanted to learn and it didn't have to be from seven to two thirty. And just because you tell me I have to do math at 9 a.m., maybe I like doing math at 3 p.m. And struggling with some of this, just the structures of school after for 18 months, they there weren't a lot of structures. And I think one of the places, the only place I and I don't have any data. And so I'd love if any teachers out there and has anything or have been thinking about this, but there are a lot of AP and IB teachers who are highly motivated kids for the most part, kids who have figured out how to play school or kids who know how to be motivated, get work done. I am not finding, I have not been able yet to find a school that said our AP scores or IB scores went down during the pandemic. Now, maybe I'm not asking the right schools. But that's telling me that those kids found a way. And again, there are highly motivated kids. We'd expect those kids to do it. But it's also telling me, I wonder if we overstructure specifically those classes for kids. Do those kids need more you know, student agency in getting their work done? And we, ne- we could even back off more on being a guide on the side with those kids, giving even more of our energy, time, experience to those kids who aren't that And I don't know. I think this is part of the bigger question of, you know, online plus face to face plus blended plus like it's this whole, you know, how are you meeting kids where you're at? And we've got a bunch of kids who are in a bunch of different spots now. Um, You know, I, I just
2: it's really interesting to think about. So it's one of your pendulums. Jeff Or one of Tyler's pendulums. I mean, honestly, is the, and it's the driving thing of school for however long, right? We've always said that like bus schedules and lunch schedules (laughs) drive drive what we have. And it's so limiting to what is good for, for kids. Like I, and I don't have like data, data for you, but I have had this conversation with my students and I presented with them like this different idea. And so think about, they got exposed. You're talking about 16, 17, 18 year old kids, they got exposed for a year of, like you said, being able to learn when it works for them. Now we know that a lot of them didn't learn at all, but they right. many. Or I shouldn't say didn't learn at all, but didn't necessarily engage in right. the completion of what we would determine to be learning. Although they were learning, because we know every human being learns every day of their life. But as far as they were had a chance to do it, kind of when they wanted to, and then all of a sudden they come back, and now we're doing school to them again. Like yeah. you have to sit here from eight to eight 50, and then you have to ask to go to the bathroom and you have to do that. And you have to do this. You have to do this. I mean, if, if they don't aren't ready to do it at eight in the morning, you're not going to get a whole lot of production of them. And so like I've had this conversation with the students in the last week because of the lack of production I was talking about. And the interesting thing, when I say, you know, I ask them like, is cell phones a distraction or what's the distraction? I want them to reflect because I think kids need to reflect more. Right. So what, what is the distraction? And They always want to say, well, I don't have enough time. Well, I work and I have this schedule and I have that schedule. And I said, well, hold on a second. I'm not talking about homework, right? I'm talking about being productive in the time that you're at school from 8 to 2.30. Oh, you know, like, like they want to blame the lack of work completion all the time on because they work or they're busy or they play basketball or they play whatever. And for the most part, every kid has maybe homework in math for 20 or 30 minutes Otherwise, I mean, they maybe have a maximum of 30 minutes of homework at night. So, they, and they don't know why they're not using the class time well. Well, it might have to do with the schedule. It might have to do with they're not ready to learn at nine in the morning. And so I said, you know, what if you had like, you had to go to two classes a day from eight to 10 in the morning, you went to lunch or something, and then you had an open time to go work with whoever you wanted to work with or work on a project. Oh, that would be awesome. Like, I mean, they, they're, their passion of what they would want to do. Now you can't do that with a, with an eight-year-old, right? right but I sure. mean, you could with a, a high school kid. And so yeah. I mean, if we were willing to come up with an identity as a district or willing to come up with an identity and change how we do things, just because we've always done it doesn't mean it's the right way. I think we'd get more engagement from kids. I really do. Yeah. Um, so
4: we are building a second high school in Moses Lake, and it is a project-based high school. Uh, it will open in the fall. We've hired a few teachers for it. Um, but I love the idea. I love like no no schedule and we're working in pods and, but can we pull it off? I'm excited. I'm nervous. Um, I am still, I met the new principal and the first thing out of my mouth was why aren't kids involved in this? We need Mm. to be asking kids. So we're going to just start out with um, freshmen and sophomores next year. And so why aren't we talking to our eighth and ninth graders saying, what kind of a school would work for you what should i mean we've got to get buy in and they know what they want they they know you know we've got to ask the right questions but um our community has a lot of questions with what does this school look like it's different it's supposed to be different we have grandiose ideas but some of the things you're talking about exactly steve of not a not necessarily first period second period third period that um, cross-curricular learning. So uh cross your fingers for most like school district <laughs> and pull it off.
1: Well, and I think I think we also do sometimes we do a disservice. Like we ask kids their opinion, but we don't actually listen. You know, okay. I know there's a lot of districts that actually asked high, and then specifically high school kids, like, what were the best and worst parts and of the of learning at home and the pandemic? And what what would you want to keep? And one school district I was working with, they went to a uh a trimester or our quarter system, sorry, where in, instead of doing six periods, they were doing three, yeah, three or four periods uh, every quarter. And overwhelmingly, the high school kids came back and said, we loved only doing three or four classes. Like only give us three classes and let us go longer and deeper. And it even like one, a couple of the comments from the students was it's it like socially, emotionally is better for me that I'm not trying to juggle seven things when I can go deeply into three things. And so the data was right there. The school comes back. The kids come back to school this year. What do they do? Seven period day. I'm like, the kids told you like overwhelmingly, the kids said, this is, this really helped us we would love to see what this looks like in person too. And we couldn't, and you can do it. It means changing the schedule, but you can do it. Like it's the same amount of seat time. We
4: need a four period day for yeah. quite a few years. you yeah. so would get eight credits a year instead of a typical seven or whatever. Uh, the issue we had with that was we lost a lot of our electives because when you only get to choose four classes and it, it kind of, yeah. It can work, of course, and yeah. I like that listening to kids.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we have to rethink the structure of it for sure, you know. But I just I think sometimes you know it's one thing to listen to kids and actually take their feedbacks. Another thing to just put out a survey and say like, oh, that's all good, and then we just do what we do anyway. And
4: that's it. Right now, we're already December first tomorrow. Kids should be in on the process if we yeah. are asking them in. May and the school opens in July, then it is
1: just it's hard to move the wall (laughs) (laughs) at that point. We're going to ask you, but really, we've already made the decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Any tech tools, tips, anything that you're seeing out there that new things you're playing with?
4: I'm going to try and convince. It's been around forever, but we've never bought it as a district, but read and write for Google. I like the translation feature. I like the text to speech. I like the picture dictionary. I love the highlighting tool where you can gather the highlights. Um, So I am going to work on, and you go into read and write for Google. There's a bunch of research that just aligns it beautifully with UDL. So um, it's not new, but I'm going to see if we can get a district subscription for it. Awesome. I, I've gotten emails from our high school and from our tech school saying, I have non-readers. I have kids that can't read my Google Classroom. What tools can I use to get uh, my Google Classroom? So anywhere from a kindergarten student up to those high school kids. Yeah.
2: So yeah. nothing new, but like,
4: I'm pushing for it.
2: Cool. Like, like you, Monica, I don't have anything necessarily new. I mentioned about using the Google Classroom to be able to make that available to a student. Yeah. I, I'm, also, I'm also doing it with, um, yeah, the differentiation piece. Like I'm also doing it with my juniors where I'm letting them pick kind of the style of learning that they want. And so I just make available on Classroom to the students that are doing kind of a self-guided approach Whatever they need, and I make the traditional approach available to the other students. And so I just manage that on classroom, and they don't see the opposite. They don't have to put everything out there, right? You just choose it by just student. the stuff they need. So that's not see. new, but it's just it's easy and more slick yeah. for them and powerful um, and powerful. No, it's yeah.
1: powerful. That's the cool thing about it.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, 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 if you talk about like the learning that's not just content based, like I've had students that have come up and said, Hey, you know, Mr. Murphy, can I switch to, self-guided this week. Like I have a topic I'd really like to investigate or that didn't really work for me. I want to switch to traditional, like just that learning, just that self-awareness and significant and and an ownership that they have. Um, But the other one is, um, and maybe people are aware of this and I'm late to the party, but there's add-ons that you can add to like Google docs, right? There's a word cloud for Google docs. So if you add on word cloud and then, you know, people type into the Google doc or whatever, it'll, it'll make a word cloud for you. Um, as to what's there. And I did it at the beginning of the year when students were giving me information about what makes a, the, the thing about the best teacher they ever had, what makes the best teacher you ever had when we put it into a Google doc and it comes up with that word cloud. So mm. it's rather than go to a separate word cloud deal, it can do it right from your Google doc.
1: Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that one either.
0: So nothing new for us either, other than I'm my focus has been kind of refocusing on those tools that we already have. We don't need to add 10,000 cool new gadgets. What do we have? Like I said earlier, Google Slides. What can you do with Google Slides and how can you integrate it in your classroom? Not only for content curation, but student creation, that voice, that choice. I mean, there's so many different avenues that you can use our just run of the mill Google tools for that I think. People forget I was working with a teacher today and in his Google classroom, he had 38 different um, assignments posted, each with a question out of a book, the same book. And it was just that simple conversation about what if we look at this, make one Google document with all the questions, teach the kids to use the table of contents that you can create. And now you've got one piece and you're only looking at one document. Yeah, and right. The kids aren't trying to find all these documents. And to him, it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that, that's crazy. That's a, I love this. This is what I needed. But, you know, we get so caught up in having to know everything and a new cool thing that we forget just the really good, sturdy workhorse pieces of what tools we already have.
1: I agree. I feel like you don't need a whole lot. Like you got, you know, if you, especially in in my world, if you're a Google Apps school, like you've just got every, I mean, there's not a whole lot. You got to go out and get some extensions. Like you're talking about Monica, you know, I love the read and write extensions. There's some fantastic extensions, but you're still keeping everything kind of housed inside. There's not a whole lot you need
2: outside that. Tyler, how about you? Anything? Oh, sorry, Tyler, just before you do that, because I was talking to with Mon- or with uh, Jen being in our district, Screencastify is one of our core fours, right? Yeah. Screencastify has added the ability to add questions and things within your videos like oh, Edpuzzle. Oh, wow. So, so now that it has, you can just do it right there rather than go to Edpuzzle if you need to. You can sure. just do it in your Screencastify or even with self-created videos. So just one day.
3: Oh, wow. I'll have to go and check that out.
2: I mean, I think my
3: tech tool that has been... I, I guess I reminded of how important it is was YouTube again, yeah. Um, like for multiple reasons, I think the auto captioning feature. You know, if we're talking about like making sure our instruction is accessible, like there's an auto translate that yeah uh, is generally pretty accurate, though it has been really funny a couple times. Um, but I like it was just I was reminded of the power of it with like at, at at certain points throughout units, we'll have moments where I have students stop and reflect on their feedback, choose some, one of the things we're working on and just go learn, like just get on. And I had a student, it was like almost the end of the trimester and they were struggling with independent independent clauses, which we had talked about way before. Like it was a long time <laughs> and they'd been struggling with it all trimester. And like, finally the student like watches it and i go talk to him like hey like how'd it go what's and he's like oh my gosh it makes so much sense and he explains it to me like in detail and then he's like why didn't you ever say it like that and i was like i don't know buddy good point like
4: you're tyler ravelin come on now
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a good reminder to me of like i'm not always gonna say it the r- you know like i'm yeah. not gonna say it the right way for that kid and we've got thousands upon millions and built whatever videos that could explain it in a different way. So that was a good reminder to me of like, yeah, we, we have all of this readily available. Let's use it or let kids use it. Yeah. And this is the
1: way I explain things. You've got five minutes. See if you can go, if that didn't make sense to you, find somebody that can right. Being able (laughs) to give up that. Just like, look, man, this is how I say it. You use pendulum. I use rubber band. He's talking football. (laughs) We all got our thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, all, we all do it differently. So, well, what a great way to, what a great way to finish. Well, thank you team for taking some time out here, uh, just to chat, catch up to, to hear your voices. It's always good to see you on the screen. Everybody else just gets to hear your voice, but it's good to, to see you all, um, again, and, and we'll do this ever so often. I think it's good just to, just to get the, the team back together and just kind of talk and see where we're at and how things are going and, and bounce ideas around. So appreciate you all. Thanks,
0: everyone.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, good to see
0: y'all. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking
1: the shifts our schools need.